Let's pray, shall we? Father, we do come and ask that you would refine us, restore us. Uh, Father, we lose sight of what is central and important. And so we ask that these uh, ancient visions would yet speak in a contemporary way to each one of us by your Holy Spirit and that you would shape us uh, uh, to be your people. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, please open your Bibles to Zechariah, page 950, page 950. Zechariah in the Red Church Bibles, page 950. Well, how does the decline of Christianity in Scotland impact you? Uh, Last week I read from the Operation World Summary of Scotland, 27% of the population claim no religion and the truth is that 90% of the population will not be attending any sort of church in Scotland today. The major denominations are struggling to know how to pay the bills and are essentially managing decline. And at the same time in the UK we see people being suspended from work positions, uh, street preachers getting arrested and people taken to court for expressing really their biblical worldview, their values in the marketplace and there's a sense in which uh, the civic square uh, is getting increasingly frosty and cold to those who want to espouse any Christian convictions. It's, it's a dire situation. Now what, what effect does it have on, on us, on you and me? I think the truth is that we've just got used to it. We we don't often think about it. Uh, We're glad that we've got a church that believes the Bible and that uh, preaches the gospel and we get on with our lives. We don't often think about how we can reach the 400,000 people in Edinburgh who have no inclination to come to this church building. After all, what can we do? We think to ourselves and, and so we press on. And that's why I think the message of Zechariah is still so fresh and so contemporary for us in our context today. 2,530 years ago, Zechariah had just spent about three months preaching a message of repentance. Uh, We considered it last week there in chapter 1 verse 3. Therefore tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says, Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. And we considered last week specifically, they need to repent of just being normal. Uh, Over 40,000 people had returned from being exiles in Babylon back to the land of Judah with really the goal of rebuilding God's temple, rebuilding the city of Jerusalem that had been destroyed by the Babylonian Empire. And they'd be back for about 18, well, about 20 years at this point. And for 18 years, uh, they had been sort of suffering discouragement, setbacks, opposition that had thwarted their attempts to build this uh, temple, God's house. And after about 18 years of just setback after setback, they'd basically just stopped. 
for two years they had um, just got on with their lives they just settled down amongst the rubble of the temple and simply focused on on just getting by getting established getting comfortable uh, they were living in depressed economic times and let's be honest it's, it's just hard enough to keep your family and your household going isn't it in those sort of times but you know what the Lord God was at work in their return and he raised up two prophets Haggai and Zechariah uh, they're, they're side by side each other in the Bible uh, he raised up these two men to, to speak his words to the people in that context to prophesy uh, this is the word of the Lord to the people. And after three months, Zechariah had been preaching this need to repent that we considered last week. And he'd been sort of saying to the people, look, just to immerse yourselves in just everyday lives of, of improving your houses while, the, while God's house lies in ruins is actually a, a great sin. God's people to behave like that. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with, with wanting nice sofas and carpets and a, you know, a new bathroom suite. But if all we are absorbed on in our lives is making our house pretty and have no concern for the cause of Christ, the honor of God, the honor of his name in the world, then we are actually, as God's people, in great sin. We're not in the place that God would have us to be and that we need to repent. In fact, their disinterest in God's name and glory in the world revealed a much more subtle and serious uh, spiritual problem in their hearts, and they needed to repent. And for three months, he'd been preaching this message of repentance. And in two days' time, on February the 15th, 2,530 years ago, so we're getting to the 2,530th anniversary in two days of Zechariah going to bed and that night he did not get much sleep that night he had eight visions from God and they kind of make up the first half of Zechariah's book eight uh, visions they weren't, they weren't his dreams they weren't self-generated uh, God was revealing himself to Zechariah Zechariah got to see stuff from God's perspective, from heaven's perspective. You know, we have a great limitation that we only see with our physical eyes. You know, what the photons can fire in there and the back of the brain picks up. But actually, the, the, the world is much bigger than just what light beams that hit us. We know that because you can use x-ray machines and see a little bit more. And there's, there's a whole much more out there that we can't see with our eyeballs. And do you know what? We need... God's word to us to see the world properly to see the way the world should be seen to see the world from God's perspective and that is what Zechariah got that night and it was written down because that vision of the world from God's perspective is still a transforming vision if we can see it with our own eyes and that's what we're going to dig at today it is unusual language I mean, you read these visions, it's got angels, it's got flying scrolls, it's got uh, a basket full of evil, it's got um, horses and chariots, and it's mysterious. And, and, and I think this, this, these visions are heavy with symbolism, and they're there to kind of grab our attention. 
I mean, it's one thing to hear about the fact that there's been a tsunami or an earthquake in a country, but it's another thing to see a picture, isn't it? In fact, one picture of that devastation can just sometimes reveal so much more than all of the descriptions of an earthquake. And, and this form of writing, it's kind of a called apocalyptic writing, it is, is there exactly for this role. It is to wake us up. It's saying, look at this, look at this. And it's so weird and strange at times, it's trying to grab our attention so that we can live differently. And that's what's going on in these visions. So let's think about these first two visions this morning. Uh, Firstly, this vision of a horseman in verses 7 to 17. And essentially, I think this is a vision that's saying that there is good news to proclaim. There's good news to proclaim. This is the, the first vision, and it starts with this incredible picture of God's sovereignty. Verse 8, during the night, I had a vision. And um, Zechariah sees a man on a red horse. He's described in verse 11 as the angel of the Lord. We just don't have time to explore this mysterious person in the Old Testament, fascinating person when he turns up, the angel of the Lord. We'll leave that for another day. But he sees a vision of the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord is receiving reports from other horsemen who ride in uh, on these horses of various colors, who ride in from, as it were, the the four points of the compass from the four corners of the earth, north, south, east, and west, they kind of ride in and meet the angel of the Lord who's on this horse amongst the myrtle trees, and they're reporting what's going on throughout the world. And I think here is a picture of God's omniscience. Now, what I mean by this is God is fully informed of all that's going on in the nations of the earth. God is all-knowing. Uh, he's regularly receiving reports from all over the place. Uh, we just had a little email from what's going on in Cairo. And, but and, 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 but the, the Lord is fully aware of all things. And he's an omnipotent God. Uh, Zechariah and his people, they were a subjugated people. They were under now the, uh, the empire of the Medo-Persians. The, the Babylonian empire had been flattened by the Medo-Persians. And they would have been familiar to, of this site of of horsemen riding out, uh, horsemen who rode out all over the nations. And to, to see a horseman going by from your empire reminds you of who's in charge. And they're going around, they're observing what's happening. Uh, they're carrying news backwards and forwards to headquarters. They were familiar with this picture. Well, th- this picture of God's messengers traveling freely throughout the world tells you who's really in charge that these ones can travel unhindered throughout all the nations of the world tells you that God is all-powerful. He's the one really in charge. Over and over in Zechariah's book, God is described as the Lord Almighty. And when you see capital L-O-R-D, it's referring to the the name of God, uh, which is kind of the four letters Y-H-W-H, transliterated. Uh, The old King James called it, we used to describe his name as Yahweh, as, as Jehovah. Scholars think now it's probably Yahweh, but, but it's this name of God, the covenant-keeping God. And next to it, the Lord Almighty, the Lord who, who controls the great heavenly hosts of heaven. 
um, in the history of Israel, they knew the damage that one angel could do one night against the, uh, the, uh, the forces around Jerusalem. And, and, and the Lord is the great leader of the hosts of heaven. He is the omnipotent God, the almighty God. Hebrew doesn't have like a way of underlining and making things bold. And so to get a point home, it just repeats it. So think about that opening verse in 1 verse 3. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty. And I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. What, do, do you get what's being made bold here? Do you get the italics? We're talking about the God who is the Lord Almighty. The God who controls the mighty hosts of heaven and here we are given spiritual glasses to see in a sense the hosts of heaven um, traveling throughout the world unhindered and um, gathering to report back what is going on and this is what God's people need to realize when they feel that they are marginalized when they feel that they're oppressed and insignificant that their God is the Lord Almighty the God of all power. And Zechariah gets a vision of this. It is not a small thing to be linked with this great God. You know, you've heard the phrase, one, one person with God is a majority. That's because he's such a mighty God. And the report back to the captain and the angel of the Lord is there in verse 11. And they reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees, we have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and in peace. And while that, while that sounds kind of lovely to us and good news, it's actually bad news. And the angel of the Lord addresses his concern to God, verse 12, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah? which you've been angry with these 70 years. So here's the problem. The nations that came and attacked Israel, destroyed its cities, its economy, and their temple, were quite peacefully enjoying the spoils of their victory. Nothing bad seemed to be happening to them. And what are God's people like? What are they experiencing? Well, they had suffered. They are enslaved. They are, uh, they are poor. They are apparently powerless and insignificant in the world. Quite often through Scripture, you come across this, this point of God's people wrestling with this very thing. How is it that people who don't seem to care much about God, who don't seem to care much about His Word, uh, and, and actually quite happy to do crooked and wicked things, how come they seem to prosper? How come they seem to be at ease and they're fine, while God's people who are kind of humbly seeking to follow God and His Word are actually struggling and poor and suffering and dying. How is that? It doesn't seem right. It didn't seem right to the angel of the Lord. He, he calls out to God, how long will you withhold mercy? That's the prayer. And the response Zechariah hears is incredible news to pass on. Look at verse 13. So the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. Then the angel who was speaking to me said, Proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I'm very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, but I am very angry 
with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they added to the calamity. So here's a message from God. Kind and comforting words that, 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 that Zechariah is commissioned to preach. Uh, God, the, the, the sovereign one, the almighty Lord, is not disinterested in the state of this impoverished poor people struggling in Judah. He feels a passionate love for them and for their cause. He is jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. He is very jealous. Now, we think of jealousy often as a negative thing uh, because so often it is tinged with uh, sin and nastiness. But God's jealous, jealousy here is his intense, protective concern for what is rightly his own. There is a, is a right way in which a husband and a wife are jealous for their own love, that their love should just be for one another. That's a right and good thing. And God is very jealous for his people and very jealous for his name and his cause and the city of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord wants the people to know there. They're straggling. They're surrounded by chaos. And he wants to know, look, God is intensely concerned and caring for you in your context. Not only is he very jealous for them, he is very angry against the nations. Although God had raised them up to discipline his people, uh, they had used cruel and excessive force. They had brutally treated his people. And God was indeed very angry at the nations who seemed to be at ease. They may be at rest and at peace now, but the truth is it's a temporary illusion. God's anger is actually burning against them. And a day is coming when his anger would be released upon them. And that's the good news. The Lord cares about them and their context, cares about them in their oppression. And, and, and the good news to be proclaimed is in verse 16. Therefore, in the light of that, this is what the Lord says, I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and my house will be rebuilt. Proclaim further, this is what the Lord Almighty says, my towns will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. Remember the first message Zechariah had to proclaim, return to me and I'll return to you. Well, here's the good news now, three months on, that the Lord once proclaimed to the people, the Lord will return with mercy. In fact, it could even be translated, I have returned with mercy. The Lord is already amongst them. Here's the good news for people who repent of their sin. The Lord Almighty will return with mercy. Return to the Lord, and the Lord Almighty will return with mercy. What glorious good news. Mercy. See, actually, I don't need the Lord Almighty to return with justice. That's a terrifying thing. If I get justice, I deserve judgment because of my sin. But the Lord Almighty is returning with mercy. He's not treating me as my sins deserve. He's not giving me what I deserve. In fact, He's coming to show mercy to His people. This is very good news. And not only is He returning with mercy, verse 16, there my house will be rebuilt. The Lord is 
is uh, not just coming for a weekend visit to his people. He's coming and he's having his house rebuilt so he can remain and abide and dwell amongst his people. God's kingdom rule would be evident to the world again in a renewed temple, a renewed city amongst a renewed people. And, and the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem. It's a picture of, of, of building work. That's when you get measuring lines out, isn't it? You're planning a building job. Uh, where, where, where there's going to be a renovation of this city. A new work is beginning amongst God's people. And as the visions go on, you're going to see how big this renovation work is because it's not, my friends, just limited to Jerusalem. It's, it's, it's going to encompass the whole nations, but we're going to have to come back in further weeks to see this. The measuring line has been put over Jerusalem, and prosperity and blessing will spill out from Jerusalem to all the surrounding towns as God once more comforts his people, his chosen people. That's the good news The Zechariah must preach and proclaim. And what a great message to proclaim. So people struggling, that with repentance, they could know the mercy of God and that God would return to live among them and bring an ever-growing kingdom of blessing and comfort and prosperity. And at this point in salvation history, this was the gospel to be proclaimed. And if they believed this gospel, it would sustain this struggling remnant of returned exiles to persevere and get back into the kingdom work of rebuilding God's house. You see, here is good news that's proclaimed. And if it's believed, what's going to be the outcome? Work. Gospel work. Say, that's what the second vision is about. This good news, if it's believed, will empower kingdom building work. And you see this in the second vision in verses 18 to uh, 21. Verse 18, Then I looked up, and there before me were four horns. Please do not think of car horns. Right? Instead, think of kind of a, a huge bull, maybe a bison, uh, and it's charging at you at 50 miles an hour with its horns down, aimed at your abdomen, coming at you like that. Now, that's, that's the picture. Horns, terrifying horns on a beast, tilted down, come to smack you down. I looked up and there before me were four horns. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, what are these? He answered me, these are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. I asked, what are these coming to do? He answered, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could raise his head. But the craftsmen have come to terrify them and throw down these horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter its people. In the ministry training sessions we've been doing on Wednesday nights, we've been encouraging each other to ask the question, what is surprising here? What do you find surprising about these verses? I wonder. I think the obvious surprise to me is, how is it that craftsmen are going to terrify the nations? How are they going to bring down 
the nations who scattered the people of Judah. Uh, I don't know what you think when you see craftsmen, if you see a carpenter coming along, uh, or, a, or a plumber, or a stonemason, uh, or a metal worker. Is that a terrifying sight to you? Um, how are they going to overthrow these nations? By building and construction. Well, I think the meaning just flows on naturally from the last vision. If the people in Zechariah's day were going to believe the good news that he was preaching, then that would be shown by work that flowed out of this gospel news. It would mean that they would get to this process of rebuilding the temple. Repentance for them and obedience to the good news of Zechariah's message is about getting busy, doing kingdom work, rebuilding the temple and what God wants these workmen to see is that they're not just putting bricks on bricks they're not just putting wood against joists they're not just sort of hammering out metal it's it's not just a construction job they are engaged in something of eternal significance their activity is a picture both of salvation to the world and of judgment against those who oppose God's people and oppose his king. The world laughs at the rebuilding of a petty little temple, but these carpenters are a sign of judgment. Actually, this is not the first time in history where that's the case. Think about Noah. In Hebrews 11, verse 7, there's Noah. The Lord tells him judgment's coming. What does he do? He builds an ark. Would have taken a long time. A lot of laughter, I'm sure, at him because there wasn't a lot of water around. And this is what Hebrews 11:7 says of that carpenter. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that comes by faith. good news that inspires gospel work as the people get motivated to rebuild this temple in their day they're actually participating in God's big unfolding plan of salvation to the world they're preparing the stage of history for the coming of his son Jesus Christ the king of God's kingdom see this nation building exercise is vital for Jesus to be able to come and fulfill all the promises of the Old Testament And all the symbols of the nation, the temple, the priesthood, the sacrifices, the land itself, were all there so we can understand the good news of Jesus Christ, of what he was going to come to do. If the temple was kind of an earthly place where men and God were to meet, then that was all pointing forward to the God-man, Jesus of Nazareth. And really, uh, if you're new, if you're visiting here, We want you to know that this is really what we're excited about. We're excited about telling you about King Jesus. That we have found in him, here is the the one who is both God and man. Here is the one that the whole of history has been built up around. Our Old Testament speaks of hundreds of years that point forward to his coming. That the New Testament explains the significance and the impact of the coming of Jesus. The work of God's kingdom now 
is not a physical earthly temple that temple was superseded by Jesus it was all a picture of Jesus in his death upon the cross he made a way that our sins can be forgiven through coming and approaching him in his resurrected life by faith we come to know the true and living God and enter relationship with him we don't point people to a temple we point people to Jesus and all over the world now this kingdom building work is a ministry of pointing people to Jesus the apostle Paul puts it this way in Colossians chapter 1 verse 28 we proclaim him Jesus and earlier in the chapter he explains the Jesus he's talking about he's the Jesus that through whom everything in creation was made and, and through him that everything holds together it is a vision of the supreme sovereignty of Jesus over all things it is him that we proclaim so that uh, and, and we admonish and teach everyone with all wisdom Paul says so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ to this end I labor struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me the good news that Zechariah had to proclaim is an embryo form found in its fulfillment in Jesus we see this good news all the more clearly all the more sharply all bound around Jesus the perfect sacrifice for sins the Lord of all and uh, so the work of God's kingdom now is of making disciples of planting churches of gathering people from the nations together and that happens in Papua New Guinea and it's what God is doing here in Scotland Paul speaks about it in this way doesn't he he says uh, of his ministry as an apostle for we are God's fellow workers and of the church he says you are God's field you are God's building by grace God has given me I laid a foundation as an expert builder that foundation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus and he says and be careful how you build on it we're in the building phase of building up uh, God's kingdom by preaching the good news of Jesus Christ and you know we can feel discouraged and tiny a tiny minority of evangelicals within this city within this nation we can get discouraged by the decline of the cause of Christ and you know what we need at a time like this we need to recapture a vision for the sovereignty and the greatness of God the Lord Almighty is in control of all that we see around us that he is all-knowing and all-powerful his anger and his judgment are real and there's a day coming when there will be it'll be poured out and all who oppose him and yet in his kindness and his grace today is another day of opportunity where he extends his mercy to all who will come and receive the forgiveness he offers my friends today if you're not a Christian I want to say today is a gift given to you by God that you may come to Christ confess your sin receive his forgiveness and become part of his people this is actually what's really going on in history dictators rise and fall 
Kingdoms come and go. Political parties come and go. But God is gathering a people from the nations for himself. And that is the one thing that is going to stand when all of creation enters into judgment. The last thing standing will be God's people, the church. All over the world, he is calling people to the gospel. All over the world, by his spirit, he is dwelling in people's lives. And gospel ministry, uh, translating the Bible into one of how many hundreds of languages can seem so puny, uh, standing up with a book, uh, proclaiming old words from a long time back. It can seem rather puny and dry and dull. And, but you know what? God is at work gathering people through the gospel today. You see, the four craftsmen are equal to the four horns. The four craftsmen are gathering while the horns scattered. And when we have a renewed vision of this good news of Jesus Christ, it will inspire us to gospel work. I think we're living at a fascinating time in history. Um, Adam McNinch was telling me that he did a questionnaire with uh, students at Edinburgh University this past week. And one of the questions was this, if you could know God personally, would you be interested? And he was amazed and encouraged to hear the many students who answered yes. That's what he said, wasn't it, Adam? If you could know God personally, would you be interested? And people said yes. Uh, Robin Turton and uh, Alistair McCormick and others have, have gone out on Friday nights to offer tea and coffee to people coming out in nightclubs and, and pubs around the underbelly. And Robin has been amazed at the openness of people to come and talk about things of the gospel. Uh, students at Napier and Edinburgh University CEs have been sharing uh, their faith with people this past week. Um, Harriet Watt and Queen Margaret, I think, are going to be doing it this coming week. You know, we, we do live in a time when many people have not rejected the gospel because they simply haven't heard the gospel. There's huge numbers of people who've just never heard anything about Jesus. But one level are saying, well, actually, if I could know God personally, I would be interested in that. Have we forgotten how good the good news is? Have we got a vision for what God is doing in the world? Here's the promise of the Lord Jesus. I will build my church. And I wonder, what's he calling, what's he calling you to do? What's he calling us to do in partnership with others? Here's the main program. Making disciples, planting churches. People coming under the headship of, of Jesus. Everything's going to be put under his feet, it says in Ephesians. This is, this is the real agenda. It, it never gets covered in the 10 o'clock news, uh, but it is the main agenda in the world today. How are you involved in this great work, this kingdom work? Yeah, we read from Philippians earlier. 
Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Do you see that? As they engage in gospel work in Philippi, it is, it is something that is also offering salvation to the world, but to those who oppose them, it is a, it is a powerful picture uh, of their destruction, their judgment. You know, you keep opposing God and His Word, uh, you keep rejecting Christ, you will be lost. And if we stand clear in the gospel, it does both these things. That's what the Apostle Paul says of his ministry, doesn't he? As he goes out and preaching the gospel, to some he's the aroma of life, to salvation, to some he's the stench of death. The gospel always polarizes people. But how are we involved in this work? Do you know what? You, there's so many ways you can be involved in this work in this church. Everything from IT uh, to making tea or coffee to helping with the nursery, teaching students the Bible, uh, teaching international students. Uh, they're welcoming. I mean, the list could go on and on and on. And that's to just take care of ourselves. How are we, as a church, going to reach the 400,000 people in Edinburgh? We've we've come to the end of seeing um, Nidri being planted and established, about to hand that on. Where would the Lord want us to plant the next church? If this is the vision of what God is doing in the world, and we're going to be in partnership, where are we going to plant next church? Where are we going to do this? And maybe some of you are going to go on that church plant. Maybe, Maybe... you're going to be leading, going with a team of people to start a brand new work or to resuscitate a struggling church. Where can we see the gospel making advance in this city? Because do you know what? We, if we have biblical glasses, this is what God is doing in the world. He's gathering a people to himself. And it's the good news that motivates this gospel work. Uh, last Sunday night, um, Martin Smith, uh, one of the students was sharing about the, what the Christian Union were going to do uh, to try and communicate uh, this good news of Jesus with fellow students. And sitting next to me at the communion table was uh, George Nash. And we did, had a little chat at the end. And George was telling me that, uh, you know, boy, they had, they had prayed long and hard for Martin. Uh, you know, Martin wasn't a Christian. And uh, Jack Charnley, uh, who was part with us at that stage was working as a UCF relay worker, befriended Martin, kind of brought him here, took him to Christianity Explored. You know, we have guys here who kind of set aside evenings to uh, organize uh, a friendly welcome and uh, run this Christianity Explored course. Many people are involved in making that happen. Well, Martin came to that. And in the back room, George and others were praying for Martin. And George said, oh, he gave us a headache. He just kept coming up with more and more excuses why he couldn't become a Christian. It was almost exasperating. We just had to keep praying them down, praying them down, praying them down. And Sunday by Sunday, Martin came to this church, and he was able to come here because there were people who opened up. Uh, there were people on the sound desk. There were people playing music. There were welcomers. There were, there were, you know, to make this church happen. And Martin was standing there having become a Christian, having got baptized, just so excited about the gospel and asking us to pray for him as he wanted to share the good news with other people so they could come to know Jesus too. And what was involved in that? 
tens and tens and hundreds of people working together as a church that he may know the gospel, that he may know Christ. Are you, are you involved with this? If you were to leave this church, would it make any difference? Are you partnering with us in this work? Have you got a vision for what God is doing through Christ to reach a needy world where we're making disciples and planting churches? Let's pray. Almighty, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us eyes to see something bigger than just what we see with the light, to see what you are accomplishing through the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, give us the faith to believe this good news your sovereign power give us a fresh joy at your tender mercy to us in the gospel Lord help us see how we can each play our part in living in the light of your kingdom and, and building together for your glory oh father thank you for the many, many people you've put here who have this vision grow their numbers in our midst unite us in the truth of the gospel Father we seek a fresh empowering of your spirit that we live for Christ in this coming week Lord, please do that work in us precious name of the Lord Jesus.